Yo, what's up, everybody? I'm Nolan Tuck. Stacy Glover. You're tuned in to Cinema Parlor. That's right. So, Stacy, if you were, let's say, just wandering around and needed to take care of some people, uh huh, who would you choose to take care of? A guy like Charles Bronson, mm. or a guy like Clint Eastwood. Who 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 would you pick? To gun down these foes. Oh, bad people. Um, I mean, Clint Eastwood definitely has more style. We're going to be talking about Dirty Harry, and we're also going to be talking about Death Wish. What, what are you drinking over there? So today, uh, I think, uh, you know, just, just to celebrate this this manly occasion, I've got a tall boy of Miller Lite, mm. and on the side here, I have a can of Miller High Life. So this is just going to be a just just a a straight up uh manifest here. Yeah. I currently in my hand, I have a nice glass of Jim Beam and I will be following that up with hopefully a few cans of Bud Heavy. That's just um just regular Budweiser. <clears throat> now that uh, yeah. You can't ever go wrong with that. No, good stuff. How you been, man? I'm good. I feel like it's been a while. Yeah, we've, it's been a couple weeks here, and, uh, you know, we're ready to, to talk some, some action flicks from yeah. the, what, 70s? Early 70s. Yeah. So, uh, I guess first off, uh, what have you been up to, man? Well, I have been, well, I've been playing some computer games. So, Civ Six, um, the new expansion pack, which I believe is called, it's not Rise and Fall. Oh, I can't think of the name of it right now. I drew a blank. That's all right. Anyways, been playing that. So they've added rules where there's like global warming and they brought back like death robots. I know you don't know what I'm talking about. You've not played those games, but Civilization is just a very fun series and I am currently terrorizing Japan. I'm playing as the Aztecs. So this these games like... You're you're just trying to like are you trying to be the main ruler of like all lands? Is well, that the... you can play it that way. There's many different win conditions, so you can you can win like through culture. Say, um, you, you get lots of tourism and people want to buy your denim jeans. Oh, nice. That's a way to win. Okay. Um, you can win through science, which is like launching, I believe, a Mars colony. Okay. So there's all these different conditions, and the civs play different ways. So I'm playing as the Aztec. So they, they're more of a domination run. So that is wiping out all of your opponents. Okay. So you have to get all their capitals to win the game. But I'm kind of, I'm kind of also delving into the science. Um, pretty close to launching a, uh, a moon colony, I believe, oh, which wow. is like the third out of four steps to get that science victory. I got giant death robots. I've sent to another continent. I wiped out England. Um, I've been nuking people. R.I.P. Yeah, it's been getting dark. I, I'm nuking people. They called the Special World Congress to denuclearize okay. me. I used all of my built-up diplomatic um, favor yeah. and voted that down. You know, you better be careful because you might have Trump try to, you know, talk to you about denuclearization. I don't know if he knows what that means. He may not. <laughs> Anyways, so... Not to get political or anything like that, but Civ Six is awesome. If you like strategy games, that's a lot of fun. I've also been playing TIE Fighter. It's a space sim shooter, Star Wars style, from 1994. 
and I bought a like fancy joystick. Yeah. You know, like the flight sticks you'd play flight simulator. You yeah. Know, way back when. So I got one of those and I spent like two hours last night trying to configure it on my computer because, you know, this is a game from the nineties. It's it's not like meant to just inherently work. You mm-hmm. gotta like you gotta work for it to get it to okay. work. So and all this stuff is over my head. I couldn't do it on my <laughs> own. So thank goodness for Google, you know, because like it it came up on my TV as like a cropped thing where mm-hmm. you couldn't see the top or bottom. So it's like you have to go into the files, the executables and stuff, open those up in notebook and then like tell it oh, manually wow. okay. that like this is what your native resolution is and to not stretch like, you know, the aspect ratio. All this stuff is over my head. I just was able to figure it out via Google and smarter people. That's than good. I. I, I would not have been able to achieve. But it's a fun game. It's one of those games where it's like you have to use like 20 buttons on the keyboard. Plus you have, you know, a nice. flight stick. So managing a lot of stuff. I guess real quick, just on game wise, uh, I've been playing Far Cry 5. We're talking about um, just action and violence right now. I've just been shooting cult members in that game. And that's pretty fun. Gathering Storm, that's the name of the expansion pack for Civ Six. Hey, there you go. All right, very nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I I just got I picked up that game a couple weeks ago. It was on sale for pretty cheap, and mm-hmm. uh, I enjoy the Far Cry games. So I'm having fun just like taking down outposts and and uh, yeah, just causing havoc. Do you get an do you have an animal companion yet? Yeah, I have a, the dog right yeah. now. He's he's good. Um I've also hired some guys, just like some randoms, hire for guns. I have this one dude who's who's tearing it up. He's mm-hmm. already got like twenty kills for me, wow. so like he's doing well. And uh, yeah, it's it's a fun game. Just 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 ridiculous shooting, you know. Yeah, those those are all fun games. They had a new one just come out recently. That's kind of like a like a follow up, right. but it's in mm-hmm. the the vein of like Blood Dragon. Yeah, Far Cry New Dawn. Yeah, I think is the name, and uh, I I will eventually pick that up sometime when it gets. It's only like forty bucks now, but when it gets down to like fifteen yeah. or twenty, I'll probably pick that up sometime. Looks like there's a lot of neon colors in it. Yeah, the, I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, what about movie wise, man? What have you been watching? Well, I've been going through the Godzilla films. I have a goal of so we have the new one, Godzilla King of the Monsters, through Legendary and Warner Brothers. That's coming out this summer. I believe it's the end of May. So I want to watch all of the Toho Godzilla films and like the subsequent like monster movies that they did. So like the side things like Rodan and Mothra. And now, I might watch me some Gamera, I don't know, Gamera, yeah. however you say that. Quick side, you own all these, don't you? I do. It it took a very, very long time to collect all of these films. They're not easily available in the States. Well, it probably took you a little while to, to gather all that. Oh, it did. So, some of these, like, older ones, they sell for, like, 50 bucks, you know, a DVD mm-hmm. on Amazon. So, when I find them, you know, I buy them up and stuff. There's one that I had to get imported from japan godzilla or return of godzilla from like 1984 and of course like once i did that like six months later they released it on blu-ray you <laughs> nice. know, here that's but, how it goes right yeah <laughs> yeah um I, i'm excited to watch all those films uh, don't be surprised if when it gets closer to may if i make you watch some godzilla films and we talk about them yeah, that's all right man I'm but yeah, so that. so yeah, watching uh, first Godzilla, you've seen that film. Yeah. Um, watching the criteria, I watched the Criterion. I watched both versions of the movie. The Japanese version's drastically different than the American version. Uh, now I've only seen the the Japanese version. 
the the American version's okay. It plays more like a fifties B movie, like what you would get from, you know, like what Ray Harryhausen was making and you know Jack Arnold, uh-huh. you know, stuff like that. It just uh, it doesn't have you know like the darkness. Okay, if that makes sense. Sure. And Godzilla the original is it's such a very dark film. Um, it's very meditative and makes you just feel like crap. That's the, but it's wonderful. Yeah. It, it's like an art house monster movie. Yeah, it's like probably one of the only one of those like like that and the host. Yeah, both great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Godzilla readily available through Criterion. Check it out. Okay, uh, so I, I'll start out here. Um, I watched uh, this is uh, was was something of a revelation for me. Uh, I watched a movie, Chunking Express, from 1994. This is Wong Kar Wai's film. Uh, his, I've seen a number of his films. This was one that I've just kind of been waiting on to watch. Hmm. Uh, and it did not let me down. Uh, I watched this on Blu-ray. It was also streaming for a while on Criterion's kind of, like, starting to launch their new streaming channel, which will make its official, like, full launch, I think, in April. But, uh, so a lot of people were watching this and I just was like, well, this sounds like a good time for me to, to join in on the conversation and go ahead and watch it. Um, but, uh, this, this was a masterpiece for me. Um, it's a movie basically about memory, time, place, and specific spaces. Um, it has great music in it. Uh, that's like a big key aesthetic this is basically a movie that's like cut into two parts. There's like one set of characters you follow for the first half and then a different set of characters you follow for the second half. Um, uh, there's like one of the main songs that plays all throughout the second half is California Dreaming by the Mamas and the Papas. Mm. Uh, very, very great soundtrack. Um, like for those interested, uh, there is a great uh, article written by uh, Olivier Asias in the March-April issue of Film Comment from last year, I believe. And he talks a lot about, like, memory and time and place in films, especially in in uh, Wong Kar-wise films, I'm sorry. And so if anyone is interested in uh, learning more about kind of that stuff after watching the film, I would, rec- I would uh, uh, say check that out. So From my understanding, um, In the Mood for Love and then Chunking Express, like, those are... What people consider like the top of his yeah. filmography. Mm-hmm. That's true. And I haven't seen either of those. I need to dive into them. Yeah, they're I, I love them both. His other stuff I've seen I've really liked as well. Not to the extent of probably those two, but yeah. I've seen like Twenty Forty Six, which is kind of a sequel of sorts to In the Mood for Love, but it has this. It's it's a sci-fi, as Wong Kar Wai goes about sci-fi anyway. Um, twist to it. So that was pretty good. I've also seen I think uh, one called As Tears Go By. Which um, is kind of he has a bit of a influence of John Woo on it of his like kind of early films. So, oh, okay, awesome. Um, not a, of course the action is not <laughs> shot like well, it. Well, but, nobody does action right, like John Woo, especially and and you'll notice with uh, with Wong Kar Wai, he does a lot of uh, like slow motion messes with time and stuff like yeah. that. So but anyway, I would highly recommend that film. It, awesome, uh, really enjoyed it. So and then uh, another thing I will talk about also. Uh, here is, uh, since we're talking a little bit about action films, I watched Blue Steel. Uh, this is a 1990 film directed by Catherine Bigelow and stars Jamie Lee Curtis. I thought this was quite impactful, uh, even at, at this point in time. Uh, Bigelow makes a film that kind of flips the police procedural with a female lead in perspective. 
also showing the sad truths about a female cop dominated by a male environment. Uh, this includes fascination of men and women, men of men and women cops and their uh, hesitancy in taking them serious. Uh, film very much about believing in women, women something that should be simple but remains complex in the worst ways still to this point. That so that film's her follow up to Point Break, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so she's got a great filmography and it's yeah. so varied. It, yeah, it, it really is. And this was this was a a, a fun movie, man. That I had uh, I didn't you know I didn't even know existed to be honest because I haven't I hadn't looked deep into her filmography yeah. as much. So um, I I, I, I recall quite... that movie being like big on cable. Okay, like yeah. growing up, it, it was on a that lot. That makes sense. And so yeah, I enjoyed that. And then one last thing I will talk about real quick is uh, last night I was able to catch um, a new film. Uh, this is called Greta. And this just came out this weekend, uh, directed by Neil Jordan. Uh, this stars Isabelle Huppert and Chloe Grace Moretz, as well as Micah Monroe. And this was kind of a throwback, trashy thriller. Doesn't take itself seriously, uh, but I, I found it very well directed and, and very cleverly crafted by Neil Jordan. Um, Huppert and Moretz are both having a ton of fun here, and I am here for that. So this was a nice surprise, because... You never know what you're going to get with those type of movies. I found it to be ex uh, extremely entertaining. So. Uh, now, is this the uh, first film that Jordan has done since, was it Byzantium? Byzantium, yeah. I believe that's his last film. Uh, anybody who thinks that name sounds familiar, he's done things like Interview with the Vampire. Uh, he did things. Crying Game. Uh, crying Game. Uh, yeah, he is a, a very, very well... Uh, a, a very well-known director, and, and he he's really good... Uh, good at the way he shoots his movies i appreciate him well dude that's so. exciting i i do want to see that film yeah uh, we watched a movie kind of a follow-up to our last episode we watched uh lucio lucio fulci's murder rock that's right uh, yes. dancing death yeah uh that was a weird movie mm -hmm. it, it's fun but it, it's not very good and it kind of misses a lot of the the things i like about his stuff i felt like it lacked like the the artistic violence that his films usually implore and it, it, the deaths are, they're all the same. And I, I don't know. I thought it was kind of lacking in that aspect. Yeah. I, I liked the movie, um, but I will agree with you on that part. Like the kills are, especially for him, very lackluster. Um, now I, I do think there's some really cool set pieces in the film, but not like when you're comparing it to like his, his well, yeah. his greatest works. It's kind of a letdown in well, that. It seems like the point. movie's more concerned with like showing boobs. Sure, and yeah. uh, it does have an interesting like score. I think the music's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. There's some great songs in it. I, I basically call this Fulci's flash dance. Um, yeah, uh, it's very ridiculous. Um, I was quite impressed with the lighting and Sean composition, um, and uh, you know I, I was happy I watched it. Uh, this was. Not quite as good as Devil's Honey for me as last year, but it was still a, a rollicking good time. Yeah, it's a fun movie. Very nice. Well, man, do you want to get into it? You want to start talking about Death Wish? Do you have anything else? No. Uh, you know, I have watched some a couple other like newer things, but we'll get into it when we do our 2018 list, because I'll just save some things there, because they'll probably come up again. Sure. So, yeah. Uh, let's get into it, man. All right, man. So, Death Wish... Uh, 1974, uh, directed by Michael Winner. Yes. Wiener, however you want to say that. Uh, 
his other films, he did uh, The Mechanic with Bronson. Now, he, he did, did The Mechanic before Death Wish, is that yeah, right? Correct. Okay. Uh, he also did the Death Wish sequels uh, 2 and 3. I think they... There's, what, five or six yeah, sequels to Death Wish? Yeah. And then um, he did a film I like called The Sentinel. It's a 70s um, like religious horror film. Kind of like that post-Exorcist, you know, when that was kind of big. You know, you had like Exorcist Omen. Um, so this is uh, about a lady who is... She moves into an apartment, and she's tasked with uh, kind of being the next overseer to this, like, gate to hell. Okay. So it, it's that kind of... interesting. Yeah, it, it's a weird movie. It's not terribly great. It's just... It's interesting. It's a good idea. Okay. Uh, so in this film, we have um, Charles Bronson playing Paul Kersey, who is a uh, kind of like a, a real estate developer. Yep. And then um, the other stars, you got uh, Vincent Gardina, I think. Is yeah. that how you say his Vincent name? Vincent Gardina. Yeah, yeah, he's the main detective in the film. He is probably most famous for playing the dad in Moonstruck. I think he was nominated for an Academy Award for that film. And then you get some nice little early cameos by uh, Jeff Goldblum, who's uh, credited as just Freak. Yeah, on on Letterboxd here, it calls him Young Thug, which is also a rapper that I quite like, and yeah. I think that's funny. That, that is pretty good. <laughs> and then at the, you know, near the end of the film, you got Christopher Guest popping up yeah. as a rookie cop. Yeah, Patrolman Riley. Yeah. Pretty so, good. All right, man. Let's get into Death Wish. You got some, like, initial ideas about this film. Yes. So, okay, I, I will say first and foremost, I was not the biggest fan of this movie. Um, this... A film about taking justice into your own hands. A film that wants you to think the greatest form of American living was that of the Old West. This was a bit of a bore for me, not only in its message, but its filmmaking, which is a very rough combination for me. I don't believe I've seen a man with as much bad luck as Charles Bronson in this picture. Uh, he is a, a guy that just keeps getting held up day after day. And all these villains really want is just for him to give up his wallet. Yeah, okay, so... <laughs> I wasn't a big fan of this movie either, but it. I think we also have to take into consideration the time and place, you know, when this movie came out, and it kind of started the subgenre of, you know, vigilante action films. Uh, there, you know, as we're going to talk about later, there's stuff that comes before, but you know, this film I think sets the template for that like exploitation sleaze, you know, mm -hmm. market for you know this type of film. And I think that, uh, you know, in Paul Kersey, you have somebody that people relate to. I think maybe that's why the movie was so successful is because you have these big cities that were so rampant with crime, especially New York, you know, where this film takes place. You know, this is, you know, pre-Giuliani years. Sure. Like, New York, from, New York, from everything that we, yeah. you know, read and, mm -hmm. you know, have been exposed to through culture, like, New York's kind of a shithole. During the 70s. Yep. So, you know, you have films like this coming out that is just about, like, the common man standing up for himself, finding justice where justice cannot be found. And I think maybe that's why the, the film is so impactful, even though it's not something that either of us found particularly entertaining. Sure. And I will say this much, like, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a terribly directed film. I found it boring as in... It was doing nothing formally for me. It's just kind of a a picture that just goes with the flow, I would say. I don't know. Um, and I found, like, 
there not to be any standout set pieces. I, I found it to be strange. Like, we'll get into this later, but like a lot of these scenes where he gets held up, it's like they live in this this huge city, but it's just like these very open spaces. And it's just like Bronson and criminals. And it's just like the same, <laughs> the same things just happening. You, you thought it was repetitive. I did. I found it a bit repetitive. Yeah. So it, it's not like, so Miss 45, which, you know, Abel Ferrara film. Right. Uh, that's often referred to as like a lady death wish. Right. right? Sure. So that film is something that has like actually has set pieces and spacing and like awareness. Right. For said spacing. This film really does just kind of just chug along. Yep. You know, there, there are no standout set pieces, like you said. Um, Charles Bronson, he doesn't really have, like... He's not looking for the people that wronged him. Right. And and that's the thing, like... Let's wait to get into... Oh, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I, and, I mean, I guess you could see that as, you know, somewhat interesting in that it, it kind of fi- follows, like, a, a similar line of, like, like Batman, which sure. has been around for a lot longer than any of this stuff. Right. You know, he never goes after you know, the killer of his parents. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, it's not like he can bring justice to them. Uh, so it, it is one of those things of, uh, you know, it, it, it does leave it kind of ambiguous for, you know, his motives and stuff. Yes. Um, it, it's very general. This is true. So, okay, just get into the film. Yeah, let me let me give a, a quick synopsis here. Okay. Uh, this is very short from... Uh, uh, Letterboxed here. Uh, vigilante vigilante uh, city style. Judge, jury, and executioner. After his wife is murdered by street punks, a, path, uh, a pacifist New York City architect becomes a one-man vigilante squad prowling the streets for would-be muggers after dark. Yeah. And that's that. That That is that. So the movie opens and <laughs> it... it it tries to do this thing of establishing like how awesome Bronson's life is, right? And like how much he loves his wife. You know, we get them on vacation, and Charles Bronson's just rocking a speedo, looking freaking mm-hmm. cut for. I mean, that dude's got to be what fifty when this movie yeah. comes out. He's freaking jacked. Yep, he's taking photos of his of his wife on the beach. I noticed. I I noted that. Uh, tells her she has a prime figure. A prime figure. Yep. Sounds like a math class. So, so, um, I got written here, the politics of this film are very upfront. Right. Uh, They established very early on that Paul is a liberal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Worker Sam, um, this character that he works with, uh, (laughs) he has a line, they're talking about politics in the office, and they're talking about the poor, mm-hmm. like just the problem of poor people in New York. And this guy says we should put the poor people in concentration camps. Yes, a, a very disturbing lie. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty messed up. Uh, there's a lot of messed up things in this movie. If you are, right. you know, sensitive at all, I guess, mm-hmm. like this is not the movie for you. It, yeah. I don't know. It, this kind of plays out like uh, red state porn. Yeah, good call. <laughs> and I'm not offended by that. So, yeah, we've we've talked about this before. Um, we can we don't have to agree with their politics, but but it doesn't 
it's nothing that offends us if we yeah, disagree with it, something. If a movie's good, it's good. Right. I don't yes. you know, if it's saying a thing, if it says it well, sure. You know, I don't care what the message is. And me and you are very similar in that in that state, right? Yeah, you know, I want to watch a good movie. Sure. So this movie is very, very on the nose, hitting very hard on, you know, liberal pacifism right. is bad. Mm-hmm. Wild West, you know, gun gun toting is is, is yeah and yeah. So we start out like you said, they're on vacation. Uh, him and his wife. A couple things I want to note. These are just small things, but uh, this is a Dino De Laurentiis production. Mm. Uh, also, I was going to note the music is by Herbie Hancock. Oh yeah, threw that in there as well. Uh, after this, uh, after we get this little vacation thing going on, we see their their uh, get back to New York. And uh, we learn that crime rate is up, and uh, we get this scene uh, where these goons are at a grocery store. Yeah, uh, I just have. <laughs> oh man, uh, thugs goofy as fuck. Yeah, mm-hmm. like they are yeah. acting like children. It's they're not really imposing people. Right, they they are. I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, amongst these. Uh, uh, Goons or thugs, we see Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. He's one of them. And he is looking goofy. He's having a good time. Do you think he's <laughs> the best part of this movie? Oh, yeah. 100%. Man. Yeah. So. And he's got this weird looking hat on. He's uh-huh. rocking. Yeah, he's, he's doing good. So they follow uh, Paul Kersey's wife and daughter home. Yeah. And they pretend to be gro- grocery deliverers. Yeah. And then they attack him. And. <sighs> yeah. Break into their apartment. They spray paint graffiti on the apartment. Uh, and on his daughter's butt. <laughs> that made me laugh, I'll be honest. It, okay. it was messed up, but it made me laugh. The, the Okay, the attack scene, I didn't... Th- the women, it seems like, had so many chances to get away. And those guys they didn't have weapons or yeah, anything. Yeah, to be honest, I mean, they're not that menacing. To no. be nice about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they just kind of... So they attack him, they they rape the daughter. And I'll be honest, uh, I had a I had a little trouble... Maybe this was just my own ignorance. I had a little trouble understanding uh, that that was his daughter at the beginning. I don't know if you were... Oh, no, no, no. Away. It's a badly written film with not <laughs> yeah. good acting. Uh, what I did was I, I put in question marks. I was like... Daughter, daughter-in-law, friend. <laughs> I, had, I was just like, I can't figure this out yet. Yeah, I figured it out later. But <laughs> yeah, later, like you get the hospital scene yeah. afterwards, and it establishes yeah. mm-hmm. that that's his daughter, and that she's married. Right. So she was just helping the mom out. Yep, that's right. But so you get this vicious attack scene, which, if you, if, I guess, if you compare it to like contemporary movies from the time, sure, it's kind of tame. Yep. Which is not a bad thing. I would prefer right. not to see a lot of that stuff. Sure. But it it kind of comes off as really silly. It does. And, like, right after that attack, again, I, I understand what, what the intention of the film is supposed to be, but, you know, we learn that his wife dies. Okay, so, <laughs> talking about that, she gets punched and then kicked, right? right. It, that's it. And then, like, she dies from that? Yeah. And, and it... It's I, silly. I understand what, yes. people die from getting punched. <laughs> sure. But it I, wasn't like a freak thing. Right. It was, like, there's scenes of her on the ground 
like fully aware and like, oh no, this bad thing's happening. Yeah. And then they just cut to she died. Yeah. That's like what? That's all it is. Yeah. So now uh his daughter Carol, she makes it. Uh they're you know, she's taken to the ER. The wife doesn't. Basically that's that. And we cut next to a funeral scene. Yeah. <clears throat> and a snowy funeral scene. So yeah. Uh we you know, like you said, we learn that Bronson's name is Paul Kersey. Yeah. Um, Bronson ends up talking to a detective, and he, you know, wants to find, obviously, these criminals. Um, the detective ch- tells him not a big chance of finding the criminals. Yeah, basically, like, there's no hope of finding out who did this. Yeah. Which, you know, kind of puts Paul off because he trusts in the system, and, like, in this instance, the system is failing him. Right. Yeah. So you kind of get that build to, like, why he makes the turn that he does. Uh, <laughs> I have things written down. Uh, the film's moving too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, which is true. They don't give it a lot of space for the things to happen. Right. Uh, that was a bad sentence. <laughs> but they there's no spacing to react to anything that's going on. And this kind of continues through the film film i feel like mm-hmm. it just speeds along but not in a good way like a a well-paced film yeah sure I, does I, that make sense yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that actually. another weird thing uh and i didn't notice it until after the funeral so maybe it's just after the funeral he's not wearing a wedding ring through the whole movie oh well, i didn't even notice that okay that's kind of weird good pickup there yeah that is strange. <laughs> Which I, maybe that says more about his character maybe he's just a bloodthirsty killer this is true uh after all, like, one thing that I, I think is kind of ridiculous is um, after he, you know, learns that they're probably going to have a hard time yeah. getting the criminals, he, this is when he first starts to, like, hey, I'm going to maybe do things on my own. Uh-huh. He gets $20 of quarters <laughs> yeah. and puts them in a sock. Uh-huh. And he doesn't actually ever use it on anyone, I don't think. Oh, he does. He does? Yeah, so when he's coming back in the evening... um. There's a guy who holds him up, and I don't think the guy has a gun or anything. He's just like, give me your wallet, man. And he pulls out the sock with the coins and smacks him once. Okay. And then he goes home. He's super excited about this. Yeah. So, yeah, there's that scene where he's got the sock, and he's flipping it around the room and, like, busting on a couch. That and was the main thing I remembered, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty ridiculous. But, you know, he's getting getting hot, you know, doing... Uh, he's feeling good about that. Yeah, beating these sluggers up. Yeah. So, next, what do you have anything else to say? No, no, no. Um, we kind of move on past this. Um, they, they establish that his daughter's in a catatonic state. Nothing right. can be done for her. It's kind of a good way to, I guess, write her out of the movie. Sure. And uh, <laughs> so, his bosses decide that he needs to take a trip. Yeah. And the, he goes to Arizona That's to right. um, negotiate the building of one of their, you know, buildings that they're making there. Right. And he gets introduced to this character who is just talking about that Wild West life. Yeah. So, like you said, he gets transferred to uh, Tucson, Arizona, at least for a short period of time here. They're like, you know, you look like you could use a break from the world, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to send you out there. Um Actually, as we're talking about this, I did write down that uh, he hit the the guy on the street so with the sock. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he makes it out to Arizona, 
and he talks to this real estate guy. Um, I write, I wrote down, um, I think one of the first things we see when you get to Arizona, it says wasting space, space for life, space for people. And we get these cowboys who are fighting like this opening scene when we get to Arizona, they're like restaging a yeah, cowboy. It's like, kind of like a reenactment. Yeah. Just like an old West type day. I, I wrote down Western propaganda. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. We have like this gun club and it's like, we shut, we shoot guns and a gun is just a tool. Like, so it's very heavy handed with very much like, and it's kind of weird because it, it's still relevant today, right? The way that like the NRA talks about, yes, you know, guns and stuff. Now I, I don't care one way or the other, I guess it's more of a, maybe access is the issue, but we don't have to get into that. Um, <laughs> it's very heavy handed about, you know, if in, I think he even says to Paul, if you guys in New York had guns, you wouldn't be robbed. Uh-huh. Which kind of is ignorant and kind of ignores the fact that uh, maybe the robbers would also have guns in that situation. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there, there's just a lot of like stupid stuff like yes. that. Um, but it is very big on romanticizing the Old West. Yeah. Which... You know, they didn't have automatic weapons back then. Right. So. Uh, during this, this time in the film, we learned, this is where we like first learned out, learn out, bleh, we first learn that uh, Kersey was in the Korean War. Yeah. So he's a, um, a conscientious objector, mm-hmm. right? But he does know how to shoot because his, uh, was his father owned a rancher yeah. when he grew up. That's right. And he, you know. He did hunting and stuff like that. So we find out he's actually a really good shot. He just hasn't touched a gun in like 20 or 30 years. Yeah. That's what they say. And uh, this new friend of his gives him like the big pro-gun speech. And, you know, it's all very um, romanticized for Paul. Like he gets this idea that, you know, like, okay, yeah, you know, maybe we could take back control from all the thugs. Right. And doesn't he, like, take him to, like, a shooting range or of sorts, right? Yeah, uh, that's where he gives him the big pro-gun speech. Yes, and I wrote this down in, during that speech. Uh, the man says, you a knee-jerk liberal thinking we comparing our pistols with our penis. Yeah. I thought that was a funny line. <laughs> no, that is a good line, which, <laughs> yeah, who knows. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, during this, you know, as you said, we find out Kersey, like, knows how to handle a gun and shoot a gun. And when he shoots it, like, at the shooting range, he basically hits bullseyes. Right. Uh, so, we anyway, Kersey basically has a successful trip in Arizona. Only, not only through business, but, you know, getting that gun life and gun culture. And- right. Well, he's given a, um, they send him a going away gift. Yes. Which is a handgun. It is. Uh, he takes it with, like, they gave him the gift, and he, he doesn't open it till he gets back to New York. Uh-huh. He gets back with his bosses. Um, you know, one thing I wrote down was the Arizona guys basically called New York a toilet. <laughs> right. Which, well, here's the thing. <laughs> it kind like of was Like we talked about time. earlier, yeah. <laughs> yeah. kind of was. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, as he gets back, uh, his daughter is in the hospital. Still? She's a, yeah, at a different hospital, yeah. isn't she? Like, That's uh, right. Doesn't the husband put her in, like, almost the 
equivalent of an insane yes. asylum. Also, like, I, I found this interesting during the whole movie. Um, Carol's husband, uh, he basically calls Charles, Charles Bronson dad the whole movie. So I was confused also during the first bit of the movie. Like, uh-huh. is this his son? Like, and then I found out, you know, it's, it's yeah. Carol's husband. But I was, like, so confused about that. Oh, uh, well. yeah, I think that's... Uh, <laughs> and I know that's probably something other people do. Yeah, it is. It just caught me off guard a little bit trying to figure out who that was right. exactly. Um, so he gets back to New York. Uh, he looks at, like, photos of him and his wife from their trip to Hawaii. And uh, this is when, you know, Kersey basically decides to open up the gift that he's given from Arizona. Mm-hmm. And he finds that it's a gun. Um, and this kind of leads up to our first, like, post-trip attempted robbery on Mr. Kersey. Now, we, if we talk about any of these scenes, they're all the same. Yes. <laughs> like, he goes out, somebody is like, hey man, give me your wallet. And then he, like, does the Charles Bronson, like, like smile. Yep. And then pulls a gun on the dude and shoots him. Yeah. Now, it is kind of disturbing in that there are many scenes where he is shooting unarmed people, mm-hmm. and sometimes in the back, right? Yeah, there, there is a scene where he chases someone down <laughs> who's trying to run away, away from him, yeah. who wasn't armed in the first place, yeah. and he shoots them in the back. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and they kind of glorify this behavior. They do, very much. I mean... The way it's shot, Bronson is more or less, you know, a hero. You know, he's... Yeah, it's not meditative at all. It's not... This movie doesn't have, like, the thoughtfulness of, uh, you know, like a Straw Dogs or... This movie doesn't even have the thoughtfulness of a Dirty Harry, sure. to be honest. Yep. Uh, it, it really is just kind of the scum of this world need to be killed and if... You know, the police are incapable of doing it, which the movie's very heavy-handed on the police are not capable of doing their job. Right. And even if they were, you know, there's so many laws in place that protect criminals that it would be ineffective. So it is more effective for the common man to go out and shoot these people maybe in the back. Yeah. So, I mean, from here, I mean, we get a few of these scenes in a row, kind of. Yeah. Like, just, and, man, I, I hate to keep bringing this up. It's just it's just really boring to to get through some of those scenes, because it's just it's just the same thing that just And it's not happening. shot well it's not, at all. Right. There, there's no style to it. Um, and, really, can we just take a second? I, I don't think Charles Bronson's very good in this movie. I don't know what you think, but... He's not. I found him to be very bland... Yeah, he he is not very good in the film. And not also, very charismatic. Like the screenplay is, is terrible. There's there are no moments of reflection. Like I feel like there are no moments to make you feel for Paul because there are no moments where he you know every, right. everything about his daughter he just acts so matter of fact. His mm-hmm. wife being dead, it's very just matter of fact. Right, we see no emotion from him no. through any of this. It's kind of just the same. The same facial expression throughout the whole movie, mostly. And I don't think he's a particularly great actor anyways. Mm-hmm. I do find him entertaining in certain films. Sure. Um, you know, like Once Upon a Time in the West. Right. Um, some of those, you know, films from the 60s that he's in, mm-hmm. you know, are very good. But this film, he's just... He's just doing his thing, I guess. It, 
I don't know. There's not really much acting in this movie. Yeah. You know, once you get past Jeff Goldblum, there's yeah, it, not it, much there. It takes a deep dive. Um, so it was something that I did think was interesting about this film was the city's reaction mm-hmm. to uh, Paul right. doing what he's doing, his crusade. So you get the cops, um, scenes of them talking about, you know, vigilanteism, like being illegal, right. but also he's doing a job that they can't do because he's using force. Right. Um, they do mention several times that um, crime mm-hmm. is down in New York since he's been right. doing what he's doing. And then you get, you know, this great scene. Um, I, I say it's probably the second best scene in the movie. It's Paul sitting at home watching the TV, um, people being inspired what he was doing. You get the scene of this yep. lady talking about <clears throat> muggers attacking her. And she just, you know, goes after him. Yeah. But I think what's interesting, there's a contrast in that the people who are standing up for themselves are not murdering people with guns. Sure. They're just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, this lady hits them with, like, her handbag or yep, something. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> she takes them down. So, I, yeah. I don't know. I, uh... Yeah, well, I mean, earlier you... And this is, this is nothing, um mind-blowing here but you did mention batman earlier and that has a lot of that type of feel of like the police are after him but the people are for him right right in this in new york here batman doesn't kill people batman Batman does does not not use guns this is true uh so what do we uh, we we get a lot of nonsense that's just building yes. up to this. The police are go- kind of going after him. They start tailing him. Yeah, I basically, I, I basically just wrote down a series of, you know, Kersey sees uh, these guys in an alley. They're up to no good. <laughs> Takes out his gun, blows them away. A uh, couple of guys try and rob him on a subway. He shoots and kills them both. Dude, that's probably what the screenplay yeah. says <laughs> as well. It's... Yeah. Uh, it, it really... There's not much there. And I have that, like... The film is very anticlimactic, um, you know, as we approach the end. Yeah. And I think the biggest problem with this film is there's no dramatic thrust. There's nothing that's taking us scene to scene, set piece to set piece. Like, there's nothing there, you know, to, to like, move the movie along. Like, the characters do not grow. Characters do not... There's no lessons to be learned. Yeah. There, there's nothing. It's just... There's not even, like, action set pieces. It just moves along. Nothing is ever really resolved. And as far as, like, the character is concerned, I feel like the movie doesn't really have much to say. Um, The movie really is just a giant propaganda piece for, (laughs) you know, like, romanticizing, you know, Western gun-toting life. Yeah, basically. I I have nothing to disagree with you on on what you just said uh because i think that is all uh relative so uh i will like you know we we after there's a part where like there's a little bit of a thing where like on in this like fourth scene of him like killing people that have attacked him he actually finally doesn't kill one of them i think he gets stabbed even by one of them yeah the it's it's in the subway right he, he gets uh, stabbed in the leg and yeah. he he shoots a guy, but it doesn't kill him, and he's able to run away. Right, and the the police, uh, I think they they take they end up getting the guy, and they they take him to the ER, and he tells police that he cut the guy that that shot him. Yeah, uh, but then the guy dies at the ER. So, <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> um, we get next, like just some other thing, like the police 
they kind of get a lead that it's that it might be Kersey. They break into his apartment, look for clues. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the police captain like calls Kersey and lets him know he's under police surveillance. I put down like there's a lot of strange music during this time. At, uh, some funk with jazz. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I found that to be a little off-putting. And, you know, I, I don't know what else, a whole lot more to say about this movie. Do you want to just get to yeah, the Yeah, let's climax? just barrel to the end. Because, <laughs> um, <clears throat> really, the movie does that anyway. Yeah. Uh, so the cops are on his trail, but he, like, he still wants to go out and murder people. Yeah. So he, like, escapes his apartment while it's being watched. And he goes out to murder some thugs, and he gets end up getting like stuck in this factory area, because yep. um, he chases a dude there. But he himself gets shot by like the, the yep. muggers. Yep. And the cops eventually catch him. Yep. They find his thirty three pistol on the scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he he gets caught. The cops bring him in, and he has like a conversation with the detective, and. I think it ends with him talking about, like, oh, you're just going to let me ride off into the sunset. Yep. You know, Mm because they just want him to move. Yep. Because they don't want to make an arrest because it would make him a martyr. Yep, they're like, they want me to get a job at another city and, you know, ask him to, like, just get rid of his gun. (laughs) Yeah, so it it very much ends with, like, this romanticizing of the West, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm going to ride off into the sunset. Yep. And he does that. He ends up going to, I believe, Chicago. Chicago. That's right. And this is the best (laughs) thing about the movie outside of Jeff Goldblum. He gets to the Chicago airport, and he sees these guys harassing a woman, and she drops her stuff, and he goes to help her to pick it up, and the bad guys are looking at him while he's crouched down. And you get this iconic shot of him smiling and then pulling up, like, finger guns. Yeah. And then you get a freeze frame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that shot is the best thing about the movie outside of Jeff Goldblum. Sure. I'm with you. Like, that's the iconic thing from the film, yeah. I would say. Yeah, that's true. Um, And it actually, it, it does, it's, like, the only part of the movie that's, like, thoughtful yeah at all mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah basically. but yeah the movie's very anticlimactic um nothing terribly nothing really happens yeah it's yeah. kind of a bad movie it was not my favorite i am glad i watched it because i'd never seen death wish um so and i know like you said it's it's somewhat of an important well, movie here's the thing it did strike time. a chord with people because you know, you you got how all these sequels, mm-hmm. like, people obviously had a craving for this type of entertainment, for this, you know, empowerment, and... And I do hear the, the sequels get much more brutal and, and more... Um, exploitative? Yes. Yeah, I've heard that, too, which might be a better thing. Maybe it'll be more entertaining, at least. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, this movie is just... I watched it the once I can't imagine watching it again i'm with you there like it it just wasn't very good sure and yeah i i I wish i had something more positive to say just to add something different to the conversation but i don't well it it obviously is an important movie and and i'm sure there are people out there that do enjoy the movie it's just i i just i just found it a bit of a bore yeah no i agree man well you want to talk about a movie that's not a bore Let's do that. All right, man. So we also watched Dirty Harry, a 1971 
It's uh, directed by Don Siegel, who I, I would say this is probably his most famous movie. But after that, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers from the 50s. Uh, he also did The Beguiled, which came out the same year as Dirty Harry. Right. Um, he, he, Coogan's Bluff. So he's done a lot of Clint Eastwood yep. movies. Um, I actually think he's a pretty good director and has some pretty good style. Yeah, he uh, some other things kind of that he's known for. He did a, a version of The Killers. Uh, he also did Riot and Cell Block Eleven. He also did Escape from Alcatraz. So a yeah. uh, number of of pretty good titles for Mr. Don Siegel. So in this film, you have uh, Harry Callahan, played by Clint Eastwood. And this guy is kind of based off of um, this real-life detective in San Francisco, uh, David Toshi, um, of Zodiac fame. Yep. Uh, is this film and Bullet, which I believe came out what, two years before Dirty Harry, okay. are kind of loosely based on this guy's life. Yes. Um, he's kind of known as like this renegade cop. And uh, you've got a, some good action movies out of it. Uh, we, we have him, this movie's very much like Zodiac. Yeah. Uh, you have a character named Scorpio, played by Andrew Robinson of Hellraiser fame. Also, he came up on the podcast before mm-hmm. in, uh, Cobra. He is the right. goody two-shoe cop nice. in that film. Yes. So, he, he does a great job as Scorpio. And then, uh, the mayor, played by John Vernon, who is the dean, the, you know, the bad guy in Animal House. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Very good. So, uh, just some initial thoughts on this film, man. What, yes. Uh, uh, this, again, this is a, another first-time view for me of uh, Dirty Harry. I, I quite enjoyed this movie. Uh, I, I think um, this is... Not only is, is it entertaining, but I, I think it's artfully done film as well. Yeah. There's some great shots in it. Aesthetically pleasing. Uh, Siegel knows how to use the camera and where to place it. And... These, there's some also some great set pieces here where we didn't see that in um, our last film, mm-hmm. um, and I, I just I just found this an overall much much better film, and I think we'll have both have some pretty nice things to say. Um, there's some great widescreen photography in here too. There's some great shots of like uh, you see Eastwood and he'll be like on some of these tall buildings and you'll just see like this full shot of like San Francisco mm-hmm. and and. Just some gorgeous photography there. Yeah, something about this film. The city is such a part of it. Very it's much so. so alive. And, and that's kind of it. To be honest, it, it's it's a much more alive city than the New York that we saw in Death Wish. Mm-hmm. It's a complete. Which is strange because I've seen a lot of you know just to go back to Death Wish. We've seen a lot of New York films. Me and you both have in that time period, and that is like, there was there's a lot going on in New York at that time, and and that movie just it was so boring and dull even showing the New York locations. Like, in this movie, it shows, like, San Francisco and its full life. So I, I think that's a great contrast right there. Yeah. But anyway, I really liked this movie. And, uh, yeah, what'd you think, man? Oh, dude, I, I like this movie a lot. I actually liked it more this time than the first time watching it. You know, um, I, I do think it's artistically pleasing. And I, this movie basically sets the template for what cop movies are going to be for the next... I mean, up until now, honestly, Mm -hmm. I mean, they still use this formula. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of scenes in this film that are aped in other movies to, you know, equal, sometimes lesser effect. Uh, You know, we'll bring those up. Um, You want to do the synopsis? Yeah, let's do that here. So, all right. 
this, like you said, this is Dirty Harry, 1971, directed by Don Siegel. Uh, Detective Harry Callahan, he doesn't break murder cases, he smashes them. When a madman dubbed Scorpio terrorizes San Francisco, a hard-nosed cop, Harry Callahan, famous for his take-no-prisoners approach to law enforcement, is tasked with hunting down the psychopath. Harry eventually collars Scorpio in the process of rescuing a kidnapped victim, only to see him walk on technicalities. Now the Maverick detective is determined to nail the maniac himself. Damn, dude, that synopsis is like the whole movie. Yeah, that's a good synopsis right there. Uh, <laughs> all right, so the movie opens up very interesting. It uh, it starts with a tribute to cops. It's going on these plaques mm-hmm. of all these people who have died in yep. service. That's right. I, I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. We start out really with this, this great shot of <clears throat> we see this lady bathing. Um, she's in a yellow bathing suit mm-hmm. and we see a, a, a widescreen shot and it just slowly kind of goes in and, and we see that someone is looking through her through, through a telescope yeah basically and I, I think it's a, a lovely shot to open the film um, and we learn that um, the person that is looking through this telescope is actually a sniper mm-hmm. and we get uh, this lady that is shot and killed in the pool <laughs> yeah so Lethal Weapon takes a bunch of stuff from this movie. Starting the movie off with uh, killing a lady on a high rise is, uh, you know, a good yes. way to start a film. Yeah, you have wa- you recently. I think you talked about those on on the podcast. But you've recently watched the Lethal Weapon movies. Yeah, I have not seen them for a couple of years, but I have seen the first one. It's just been a little while. But yes, you are completely right on that yeah the, the movies start the exact same way. Um, there's other scenes from this film that that movie takes directly. Uh, but we'll get to it in a bit. Uh, yes. Let's see, Scorpio, we, we already talked about him recalling um, Zodiac. Right. Which I think is interesting because Zodiac was active during the time of this movie, correct? That's right. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. Yep. Uh, they do make mention early on of Harry being judge, jury, and executioner. Yep. Like the, his style of policing, he is known for uh, just being a very violent cop. Yes, yeah, so right after this murder sequence, we get Harry, um, who is Eastwood. He shows up on the t- on the scene as I think the detective. Uh huh. Um, yeah, he works homicide. Yes, and and right after this, like I talked about just a second ago, the 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 wonderful photography of San Francisco. We get this great wide wide shot, and it uh, does a great uh, job establishing where we're at. Um, Eastwood finds a note from the sniper. And we find out, as you said, he calls himself the Scorpion. Mm-hmm. And from there, we kind of get into, uh, you know, kind of kind of the type of detective that Harry is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see him take down some bank robbers. Yeah, so that scene's, it's probably the most famous scene in the franchise. Yes. So he is eating a hot dog at like a diner. Yeah. And he sees a bank robbery across the way. And he, you know, comes out all pissed off and has his forty-four Magnum, mm-hmm. the most powerful handgun in the world. Right. So he says. <laughs> and he takes these guys out, and it's just a great scene, man. I really like it. I uh, it's it's also it's a pretty crazy shootout. Just like it's right in the middle of the street. Yeah, there. it's right in the middle of the street. And um, oh man, I it sucks because I don't know the guy's name, but the the main bank robber. Uh, he's in all of the Dirty Harry films. He oh, really? plays a different role in okay. all of the films. Um, in fact, I don't even think he's credited in the first movie. But, you know, Harry does the thing where he, once he gets him, 
it's like, you know, you're wondering if I shot, you know, five or six shots and right. in this excitement, you know, and I'm butchering the line. And, dude, I love that guy's line, like, um, after he decides not to go for the gun and Harry yep. walks away, I gots to know. I gots to know. I gots <laughs> yeah. to know. Yeah, and of course, you know. <laughs> I yeah. think Harry, like, pulls the gun on him and it clicks because yeah. it's empty. Yep. Like, oh, you son of yep. a bitch. He's like, you knew. And like you said, the most, you know, one of the, the most well-known lines of all time, he asks him, you know, while he's, Harry's giving him his speech, he says, you know, do I feel lucky? Well, do you punk? Yeah. And we get that and... And it's cool because, so you get all of this. It's a thing that he says. Mm -hmm. um, you know this because he says it later in the film. But I And I think it's a really good contrast of, um, you know, when he says it early on, it's very playful. It's like he almost enjoys these, like, Wild West shootouts, you know, stopping these thugs and yep. kind of cleaning up the city. He definitely gets off on it. Um, and later, we're given a much different view of this line. That's this right. This iconic line. Yes, we are. So, <laughs> um, after that, after the shootout, and Harry is shot in the yep. shootout, and I he think, doesn't even flinch. Yeah, he gets shot in the leg. Yeah. Think, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I think it's funny, at the doctor's office, it's a um, is an African-American uh, doctor... And he makes fun of Harry about police brutality, yeah. <laughs> which I think is pretty interesting because this is something that, you know, is still a topic today. Right, and, and I don't know, the all the bank robbers are black that he ends up shooting uh -huh. as well. Yes. Yep. Um, but they all, <laughs> they do make um, a note about that later. Right. Um, I, I have in here killer helicopter shots. So, mm -hmm. it must be the part where Scorpio is kind of scoping out to find another victim. Yep. Um, and the police intercede. Uh, do you know what scene I'm talking about? I do. I believe so. Yeah. So, he starts building up his gun. Yep. And then the helicopter, uh, they they come by and they're like, hey, stop what you're doing. Yep. And, you know, he runs off. A little bit but, of a chase sequence. Yep. Yeah. Um, I thought that the, the helicopter photography is fantastic yeah, in this film. It is very good. You know, the way they shoot the city. You know how you were saying? Yes. Which kind of recalls an earlier film we were talking about. Uh, mm -hmm. They they live by night. That's right. Very good. Very good callback right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So kind of after this, um, we get to meet like Harry gets a new partner. Right? Chico. Chico Gonzalez. Yeah. So they, they make a joke about his racism, mm -hmm. like Harry's. Yeah. Because he's like, yeah, Harry doesn't like, and I'm not gonna say these words because sure. they're awful. Yeah. And then yeah, he names each. Yeah, but then race. You know, at the end, Harry like winks and is like, I especially don't like, you yes. know, vulgar word for Mexican. <laughs> Let's just say it starts with an S. Yeah. So you know, he says that, <laughs> but um, they kind of have like a nice partnership thing, you know, go on through the film. Yeah. And they're kind of investigating the streets of San Francisco at night. Uh, Chico finds somebody walking around suspiciously with a suitcase yep. that matches like the identity that the helicopter called in on w what they thought was Scorpio. Yeah. So, and the, the, we're talking. I feel like we're talking like scenes kind of jump and jump, but the film is very well paced. It is, and yeah. it, it really is just action, and it's a very like very steady through line to the end of the film. Yeah. Um, the action beats, you know, are very well paced. It's always about the hunt for Scorpio. Yeah. So the film is very focused, very good and tight. 
Um, we get this kind of in in between, like right after they kind of meet him and uh, him and uh, Chico kind of uh, become partners. Uh, we get this scene where like Harry uh, is trying to stop a guy from committing suicide, and it's kind of in funny <laughs> funny fashion. Um, he talks basically this guy from doing it, but like <laughs> in a very violent way. Um, but after he does, after he saves the guy, he's like he says this line, which kind of a, another kind of running joke throughout the film about how how he got his title dirty yeah Harry. but like this time he's like now you know why they call me dirty harry every dirty job that comes along so you know just just kind of a fun little thing there which cool thing about that scene is also reenacted in lethal weapon um nice during their first patrol murtog and riggs come across a guy who's on a building going to commit suicide and riggs goes up to the top of the building and he handcuffs the guy to himself and they jump off into a trampoline that's right and in this film (laughs) harry like yep just makes fun of the guy yep and then punches him in the face and grabs him (laughs) and he's in uh one of those cherry pickers Mm -hmm. and you know brings him down which seems super dangerous sure (laughs) um but before that we get the scene of them patrolling and he gets the crap knocked out of him for being a peeping Tom. That's what do you right. think of that scene? That he, is, I forgot about that. He, he, yeah, he, so he's investigating this yeah. house, but he like yeah. he looks in and like this yeah. larger woman yeah. is getting and undressed. She she had very big breasts as well. Yeah. That it, it was a lot. Yep. Yeah. So these movies I, I've come to know I've watched a few of the sequels and they love their gratuitous nudity. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so he, yeah, like I, I think these guys walk up and they're like, "Hey, what are you peeking in on, little Maria or something?" That's right, they, yeah. and they like beat the crap out of yeah. him. And Chico comes to save the day, and he's like, yeah. "Hey, you're assaulting an officer." Yep. And you know, Harry lets him go because like he was kind of being a dumbass. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good scene. It, I'm it glad is you a, brought that up because I I forgot. That was a funny scene. I don't know why I didn't write that down because that was a good scene. <laughs> uh, so then we get Scorpio's next kill. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's really freaking brutal, man. Yeah, he shoots a ten year old boy. Yeah, that's right. Like, I I don't know. I I think that the movie does a good job of showing like the violence affecting everyone because this. The violence that happens here, it's towards, like, a young, like, a little African-American child. Yeah. So, and it is kind of a nice contrast of, you know, the terrible racist things that Harry was saying earlier, that, like, everybody is affected by, you know, these awful people. Yeah. And, you know, it's their job to protect everyone. Yes. So, I, I think that is a nice message, and... It, it is really affecting seeing any child, you know, get killed in a movie yeah, like this. For sure. Um, and then after that, we have the stakeout, which this, I think this scene's one of the standout scenes, man. I, w- I would have to agree. Uh, this is this is this is one of the best uh, set pieces in the film. So tell me what you like about it. Yeah. So first off, I mean, we get the. I'm always drawn to color, so uh-huh. we get this a big light tower. And it basically says Jesus save Jesus saves. I yeah, think. Jesus saves, and it, it's, it's on all of them. It's yes. vertical um, alignment yeah. for letters, and it's got these neon lights. And so, right, right, foremost, I'm just very drawn to it from the color and the scope. And 
you have Harry, and he, he has binoculars, and he's trying to uh, spy and figure out where Scorpio is, right? And it, this scene does a great job, I think, with with um, space and letting you know where you're at, opposed to where Scorpio's at. Uh-huh. I really like just that space and, and exterior. I think it does a great job with that. And it, it's just a really well-constructed set. You get more gratuitous nudity? You do, yes. <laughs> and then you get the shootout between them and Scorpio. They find Scorpio. Yep. And they, they basically, don't they, they, they set a, a sort of bait, right? Yeah, so um, in Scorpio's letter, he says that he's going to kill a padre. Yes. Or a racial word for, um, yes. you know, a black kid, which he does kill the black kid. Right. Um, so now they figured that he's after a priest. So they set up outside of this church that he was spotted at earlier in the film, and they're staking out, and they put a... Um, it was actually a pastor volunteered for the yeah. job. They wanted to put a policeman there, but as an actual pastor that, you know, wanted to do it to help out. So Scorpio's, um, you know, going to kill him and they stop him. He had a really good shootout. And yeah, yeah, yeah. like you said, like the lighting here is killer, man. Yeah. And, and during the shootout, we, we, you know, first we just think that he has a sniper gun. Now we find out he also has like an, an automatic weapon. Yeah, he as carries well. a machine gun. Yes. And this is just a great shootout. Um obviously Scorpio gets away. Um while this happens, he blows out the Jesus Saves lights mm-hmm. and he kills another person in the process. Yep. Um and I believe so he he you know, I have, I'm sorry. Do you have anything else to say about this scene? No, man. On? No, keep going. Okay, anyway, yeah, great scene. So, after this, Scorpio kidnaps a 14-year-old girl. Yep. Um, He sends the police another letter, and basically saying he wants $200,000, and with this letter, he sends one of the girl's teeth with the letter. Which was pulled out with pliers. Yes. And, (laughs) yeah, all this stuff, man, is gross, and it seems like... This stuff seems fitting in, like, a Thomas Harris, like, movie novel mm-hmm. adaptation thing. Yeah. You know, it is very Silence of the Lambs-ish. Yes. <laughs> um, so that is kind of the build for the next part of the movie is they're just trying to get this teen girl. And, you know, they have this Bagman sequence yep. that is really good at building tension. Sure. So they agree to pay him. And Harry is to go alone. But he secretly um, lets Chico in on it, and they get, like, the surveillance equipment so they can talk to each other, and Chico follows him around the city. Um, it And this sequence is kind of copied in Die Hard 3. Okay. Of Never call- seen it. Oh, well, it, it's okay. Okay. But they call a bunch... He Scorpio calls, you know, these public phones, and Harry has to be there at a certain time to yep. answer him, or he's going to kill the girl. Yep. And it's to make sure that... <clears throat> they aren't, or that Harry's not, you know, being tailed. So, um, this scene builds up great tension. You have these guys who try to rob Harry at one point, and he just puts the gun in their face. <laughs> um, I think he throws an old dude off of a phone once. That's right. Uh, it, it's pretty good. No, it, it's great. Like you said, it, it's very good tension throughout all this, um, like, just payphone to payphone. He ends up in this park um, next to, you know, one of the stadiums. Yes. And there's a statue, and if I was more familiar with the city, I'm sure the statue has a very, like, particular name, and it's very iconic. Sure. I don't know the city that well, 
So he ends up there. Scorpio comes up behind him in this awesome, weird ski mask. Yeah. Talking real creepy. He tricks him. Yeah. And he, like, beats the hell out of Harry in this scene. He does. Scene. He really just gives it to him. <laughs> and then Chico comes along to save Harry. Right. And, and established, he, he's, like, following him the whole time. He has a, a wire that they yeah. put on Harry, and then he's got, you know, it in like his an ear to listen. And so right at the the exact moment, I mean, Harry's basically getting ready to die because Scorpio puts the gun to his head. Uh-huh. He's going to kill him. Yeah, he's like, die, pig. Yep. And Chico shows up. Uh, and saves him. In the process, though, Chico himself gets shot. Yeah, but Harry also, like, we find out earlier, he tapes a knife to his ankle. That's right. And he pulls the switchblade out, and he stabs yep. Scorpio in the leg, yes. and we get the best scream in movies. It's really good. It, it's just like a weird... <laughs> it, yeah. It's really good. I, I can't it's, do it justice. You just need to watch it. Yeah, yeah it's really awesome mm-hmm. and epic. Yep. Chico... You know, he doesn't die. He gets sent to the hospital. Um, And the action kind of pauses here. Yeah, it does. Um, So it's all in the same night. And, we, you know, Harry's recovering from his injuries. And they kind of get their next lead after this. Yeah, we get, like, Scorpio. We also find out he went to a doctor and gets treated for his wound. They talk to the doctor who treated him. This is where we get a little, kind of a little bit of a backstory, mm-hmm. more on Scorpio. Uh, we find out that he worked at like a stadium as like a groundkeeper. Uh-huh. And he believes that's where Scorpio lives. And so we get this kind of thing where, you know, they're off to search for him, basically. Yeah. And so they go to the stadium. Uh Harry kind of is by himself now. Obviously. Well, he, he's got another detective with him. Oh, that's that right. Investigates. Okay, you're right. You're, he brings because what's that he, guy's name. Yeah, but, because <laughs> he calls him a derogatory name. I think. Yeah, Harry climbs over like that's the fence. So. I think that's what he and calls him. They go into the dude's house and they mention like we don't have a warrant for this. Yeah. And Harry is just so focused on saving the girl's life. Yeah. <clears throat> the only way to do that is to find Scorpio and find out where she's at. Yeah. Because. Scorpio has put her in like a sewage drain or a hole or something to where if she's not found within like three hours, she'll suffocate. She's going to die, right. And this brings us, I think this is another really good set piece here up with the football stadium. So we get this uh, chase basically between Harry and Scorpio. They He chases him and, and Scorpio is obviously injured a little bit. So he's like kind of yeah. running, limping through the stadium uh, there's this cool moment where like all the lights get turned on on the field by Harry's partner that you mentioned. Um, Harry shoots Scorpio, and after he shoots him, he confronts him on the field. Yeah, you get this like Batman interrogation thing going on, uh-huh. or he's like, you know, tell me where the girl is, and he starts beating the hell out of Scorpio. Yes, <laughs> rightfully so, man. Yeah, and Scorpio is just like, you know, I have his, I have my rights. I want a lawyer. Um, he stomps on his leg that has already been injured. Harry does. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. So we get this. They find the girl and sadly she is dead. Yeah. That seems like super tragic, man. It's so Harry's rough. like in the background and you see, you see what's going on through his point of view. So it's not super up close, which is good because that could be gratuitous. Right. I mean, you see this naked girl being pulled out of a sewer mm-hmm. and it's, Oh, it, it, it's grisly, man. Yeah. And the movie's very on the nose about, like, this is not justice. Right. 
Like, the, you know, Scorpio had more rights than that kidnapped girl. Yep. Is basically what the movie's saying. Now, this is, this that's true. It, Harry doesn't help himself in the process because, like, after he, like, kidnaps him and all this happens, like, he basically didn't have a search warrant to right. search where he was living in the stadium. Yeah, so it made, like, all the evidence inadmissible. They, they have a big rundown scene. I think that's kind of what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Um, where it's the DA and a law professor are kind of explaining things to Harry. Yep. And I honestly, I think this is like the one of the only scenes in the movie that kind of drags. Mm-hmm. I don't like it when movies kind of like stop the flow to explain tell, what's happening. Yeah, tell you what's going um, on. Psycho right. does this too at the end of the movie sure. to like explain like what's wrong with Norman. Right. This scene is exactly like that. Yeah, of, we didn't need it. Yeah. Yeah, it, of like, well, we have the sniper rifle. Yes, but that's inadmissible because mm-hmm. you would t- obtain it illegally. Yeah. And then Harry, it, it's just on the nose. He's very much like, well, why does this guy have more rights than a normal citizen? And Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, and they they talk about like Miranda yep. rights and all this stuff. It, it's kind of a long scene, and it is very much not needed. It slows the film down, and it I don't know. It, it feels like it is added in there to very much push like you. Know, I don't know. This movie's been accused of being fascist. Sure. I don't think it's really that mm-hmm. extreme, but this movie, like this scene, kind of leans into that right if, if you're a believer of that in this movie that kind of goes with your yeah that yeah <laughs> justice is yep. kind of handcuffed right to all these rules uh so after this uh scorpio gets out yep on these technicalities even he gets, though he murdered he, he gets his leg healed up and he's freed gets his face healed up somewhere. so harry starts stalking scorpio yep and you get these great scenes like there's this wonderful scene where they go to like this weird strip club. Yes. I just wrote down sweet nude strip club. Red colors. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a it's a really uh, really good scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the colors are awesome. Um, the music's really good in that part. And so Scorpio gets like you see him watching like children. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you know, like they make it very clear that like he's thinking about like, I could kill one of them. Mm-hmm. And Harry's like right there. It cuts to him like watching Scorpio. So Scorpio kind of gets away from him and he pays this guy to beat the hell out of him. Yeah, 200 bucks. He's like, take this money. At first, I didn't know what was going on in the scene because uh-huh. you, there's this big dude in there and he, he gives him money. And I just figured he was getting guns or drugs or something to mm-hmm. that nature. And then all of a sudden he gives him money and then... Yeah, just just what was happening? Did you understand? Like, did you know why he I was did? Doing once, it? once I saw what was going on, I was like, obviously, yeah. he's realized that Harry is tracking him, and he's like, you know, I want this to happen so he can get in trouble. Yeah. So man, he gets the crap knocked out of his him. His face looks gnarly, man. And yeah, <laughs> I, I've got written down like the beat up makeup is awesome. Like uh-huh. they do this weird thing with his eye. With yep. this makeup that, like, it makes one eye almost look offset. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, it is brutal. It, it's rough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then you get a, um, after this, you know, Harry gets in trouble and he's like, well, I wasn't there. I've been following him, but I didn't do this. You know, so you kind of get this back and forth. And then you cut this wonderful scene about um, 
you know, Harry's at the hospital talking to Chico, and Chico decides to retire from the police force and be a teacher, yeah. you know, because of... He did not expect this violence. He he has, like, what, a soci- sociology That's degree right. or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, a college kid. Yeah, so... Which Harry likes to give him trouble about. Right. So we get this really awesome shot scene of him talking with Chico's wife. And this is like all the backstory we get about Harry right. in the film. I, I don't know. I really enjoyed how it was shot. Like the space was interesting. It's this open stairwell. Mm-hmm. But it's shot from outside of the stairwell. It's all wide. And it slowly closes in while they're talking. I, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting because most movies would do just, you know, kind of like medium to close shots, you mm-hmm. know, cutting between yep. the shot two actors' shot. faces. Yep. And, you know, this uh, this took an interesting way about just doing a normal conversation. Yeah. What, what did you think of this? No, I agree. And I, I think it is really well done. And like you said, we find out a little, the smallest bit about Harry that, you know, he did have a wife. She's dead. Obviously, mm-hmm. and we find a little bit about that, and which yeah. uh, that's also uh, Riggs' backstory and that's lethal right. weapon. Very good, very good. <laughs> it's the exact same. Yeah. So yeah, I'm. I'm In with fact, you, man. I I think it is the exact same. Isn't his wife killed by a drunk driver? Yes, that sounds right. Because that's. In the first Lethal Weapon, that is what it is yeah. for Riggs. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, uh, like you said, it's it's a well done. Uh, Scene. So, just, yeah. I have a note here, just a reminder. Yes. The film is relentlessly paced. Yeah. I yeah. just wrote that down. Like, the film just keeps moving. Yeah. This is such a engaging film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it Always doesn't, moving. It doesn't stop. Uh, after this, uh, we, you know, we find out some time has passed. Scorpio is out of the hospital again. Um, and as he gets out, uh, his first... Um, uh, well, his, his first, uh, task is to rob a little liquor store. <laughs> yeah. There's this good scene where, um, he's asking this guy like, Oh, you've been robbed this many times. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but now I have a gun. Yeah. So people aren't going to rob me. <laughs> and the guy's like, Scorpio's like, Oh, okay. And you know, they kind of laugh about it. And Scorpio picks up a bottle and bashes yeah. his head Just in lets him have it. and takes his gun from him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then uses said gun to uh, kidnap a bunch of kids on a school bus. Yeah, gets a school bus, takes it hostage. Um, he has the kids. <laughs> I found this to be pretty messed up, but also kind of funny. Like, he takes the bus hostage and he starts having them sing, like, older, like, yeah. kid songs. Like, row, old, row, row your boat. Row your boat. Old McDonald. Yeah. Just has them start singing these songs. Dude, just like a short aside, mm-hmm. I know we want to, you know, keep moving, but what do you think of Andrew Robinson as Scorpio? Like, this performance. Yeah, he's really good, man. Like, there's, like, I wouldn't say he he's, like, the most menacing person in the world, but he has a presence to him that is charismatic, but also, like, terrifying. It's kind of like a precursor to, like, um, like the Dark Knight's Joker. Uh-huh. Or, sure. uh, you know, like these Thomas Harris, like, Buffalo Bill type character. Right, yeah. Oh, that's a good comparison for sure. Uh, and, yeah, I think he's outstanding in this film. Mm-hmm. He's not as physically imposing as, right. say, Harry is. Right. But he... I think the randomness of his acts of violence... Mixed with 
the things that he's doing where he, you know, like you said, he's making these kids sing like songs for his entertainment. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he also, in the letter about the 14 year old girl, it's so gross and graphic. Mm-hmm. Like he, he talks about her having like nice breast. Yep. Like just weird messed up <laughs> stuff. Very disturbing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I just thought it was a really good performance. It's probably his best performance. I, Hellraiser is really cool, but sure. Yeah, it's a great it, performance. Yeah, he he really sells the movie. This is something that, thus far, the sequels that I have watched well, it, lack. It, like you, again, not to go back. Sorry, I'm gonna go back to uh, Death Wish for a second. But like, another reason this works so well is you do have, like, a presence that you're following, and that you know you have a terror in Death Wish, like. We just get these random... There's no antagonists. Thugs, and it's... There's no... I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's just no flow, but also, like... I, I didn't care. Like... You weren't engaged There was nothing the to make me care. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's that's one thing that I, I think lacks so bad in that movie that, you know, obviously this is a much higher quality film, but it, right. it, it helps to have uh, someone that... You not only despise, but you're also terrified of. Yeah. I think that's a, a, a very good quality. So, to get back on with the movie, uh, he Scorpio makes a phone call to the mayor's office with his demands. Uh, he wants a bunch of money in a private jet or something. And uh, Harry's yeah. in the office. Yep. And you get this great line of, like, Harry's just done with it. And he's like... When are you guys going to start taking this guy seriously? Yeah. he. he I don't know why he's so fa- uh, hung up on $200,000, but that's what he wants again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he says if he doesn't get the money, you know, the, the hostages, the kids will start to die. And so during this section, uh, this is when we get the Row, 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 Your Boat song. Uh-huh. And the kids are starting to realize that something is a little off and they're like, hey, we want to go home. And Scorpio just loses it and then smacks the hell out of a kid. Yeah, that's not something you'd see in a movie today. That's very true. He beats the hell out of a kid. Yeah, just really lays into him. It's it's pretty rough. Yeah, and like the bus driver's just like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, know, crying and yeah, stuff. Just yeah. So during this, um, Harry's like, again, I'm gonna take this yeah, in my own hands. He does, mm-hmm. and you get this awesome shot of. They they go off of the freeway and they're um, I think I think they're trying to get to the airport and Harry is standing um kind of on this like little bridge walkway area and you get this great shot of him just standing there this menacing like force of justice yep and he jumps onto the school bus which is pretty badass yeah and from a bridge yeah from a bridge yep. man it's like a ten foot drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yep, Scorpio just kind of loses it, starts shooting up at him. Yep. Takes out the, the bus driver, and he's like, he starts driving the bus. It's uh-huh. like swerving all over the place, trying to get Harry off the bus. Uh, like, at this point, like, I can't remember what happens to the bus. Does it, like, crash? Yeah, so they end up in this, like, it looks like a quarry, like a quarry factory mm-hmm. or something going on with that. They crash into like a pile of rocks, and Harry gets like flown off. Yep. And Scorpio like runs out yep, and he goes into this sequence. factory. Yep. Uh, I thought that this was the least impressive set piece out of them. Yeah. 
it, it's not bad, you know, per se, like a death wish. It's just not as exciting as like the stakeout scene or the, uh, you know, the bagman scene right. earlier in the film. No, I'm with you. He's going through the factory and they're just kind of having this Wild West shootout. Yeah. You know, behind cover, just shooting at each other. And he, he he grabs a kid in the process, too. Like, he takes a kid hostage. Yeah, once they get out of the factory, um, there's a little kid fishing in a pond next mm-hmm. to the quarry. And Scorpio grabs him, and he's like, I'm going to kill him. You know, you got to put your gun up, pig. Yeah. And I'm going to get off and stuff. And just talking about how, like, he's going to be fine and whatnot. And Harry shoots him anyways... And yeah. he, you get another great freakout scene. Like he does this like screaming thing <laughs> while sucking in air. Yep. It's like this weird hissing, like. Yep. <laughs> like he's so shocked that Harry shot him. Right. Which it's like I don't know why you would be. This guy has like beat the hell out of you. That's true. Um, you'd think he would learn at some point. Yeah, and then. You get a replay of what happens with the bank robbery earlier in the film. That's right. So Scorpio's gun's right next to him. And it, I feel like Harry's doing this. It's like he's giving the criminal the chance to surrender. But if, Also, if he... Yeah, he can it, shoot the... Yeah, he is also fine to kill them uh-huh. if the criminal makes a bad move. Yep. And in this case, he does the same... Same delivery of the same line, yep. but it's, it, and I say same delivery and is that, like, the line's the same. Right. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? There's so much emotion behind mm-hmm. it, though. It's like, you can tell he's so angry and it's through gritted teeth and he really wants Scorpio to go for That's that gun. Again. That's right. He really wants to kill this guy and Scorpio does. Yep. And Harry does have a shot left. Yep. Has a bullet left, blows him away. And you get this, like, kind of somber ending and Harry takes his badge out and just tosses it in the pond. Yep. And I don't know, for me, I took it in that the film's kind of a criticism of the system and mm-hmm. how, you know, these policemen are kind of handcuffed to these rules that give criminals more rights than they deserve. Yep. That the film's thought is that once it's established that this person's a criminal then they lose their rights and you know our um criminal justice system uh is that these people have rights until they are found guilty by a jury right so and regardless of how you feel about the film you know in its political mess message you know if you think it's fascist or whatnot it's entertaining it is. Yeah, it's entertaining, and it's it's a well-directed film, and I would highly recommend it. Yeah, so it, I, I like this movie a lot. It, and the reason I want to talk about these movies is because I think they do cover similar themes mm-hmm. um, with, uh, you know, like fascist views and gun violence. Yep. But I also think it's interesting that these movies also hit, like, hit a chord with Americans at the time. They're super successful and both movies spawn multiple franchise or multiple sequels to make franchises. Uh, Dirty Harry's got five movies in its yeah, series. I think Death Wish has like five or six. You've been watching some of the sequels. Yeah. Um, so I was interested and I'm, I've been watching the sequels. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're not as good as the original film. And I don't know if you read much about the original film, but 
I guess they had a lot of people come in and work on the script. John Milius did a, a write, you know, on it. And I guess he came up with this idea about renegade cops, you know, turning to vigilantism. And uh, that's actually the basis for the sequel, Magnum Force, where you have this group of cops who are taking justice in their own hands and killing, you know, criminals. Mm -hmm. So it's about serial killer cops going after criminals, which seems to be kind of a, uh, like, hey, Pauline Kale, we aren't, we ain't fascists. Like, Harry's a good guy. Yeah. You know, kind of a response to the first movie. Sure. Uh, She hated all these films. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Sun Nim, or no, Enforcer is next. That's the one I last watched. And it's kind of just a run-of-the-mill cop movie. He gets a lady partner, and it's... uh, Okay. Ladies can do things, too. Sure. (laughs) Very nice. Yeah, but they're they're entertaining films. And the Dirty Harry formula, it's definitely... I mean, we referenced Lethal Weapon multiple times, you know, through this show. So... You know, its impact can even still be felt today with the way that, you know, buddy action cop movies are still done. Definitely. Well said. Yeah. Well, uh, I had a I had a good time with these. Even though I may have not have loved Death Wish, I still enjoyed watching both of them because uh, they were holes in my filmography that I got to cover. So, and were, you, I, were you terribly offended by anything in the movies? So much. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I don't agree with their politics, but they did not offend me. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, these films are, I mean, especially Dirty Harry, good entertainment. Yeah, for sure, man. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and, like you just said, very highly recommend checking out Dirty Harry. And uh, I think it would be well worth your time. So, man, what are we talking about next time we get together? All right, so our next episode, we're going to be finally doing our best of 2018. Now, why do we wait so long? So we wait so long because we are just two average dudes. Uh, We uh, can only watch what we can watch when we get access to it. We live in a middle America in a small market. Yes, we do. So We don't get good films. Just, you know. I mean, we do. Right, but but there's a lot of stuff that we that we would like to see that we don't get for a while. So like, you know, a couple of the films that would be highly on my list, I didn't get to see till about a week or two weeks ago. So we, we like to wait a little later in the year so we can watch, hopefully, now there's still probably be some things we would have liked to see that we can't, but we tried to make it where we could see as much as possible that we wanted to. That's right. So uh, here in a few weeks, we are going to be uh, giving you a best of 2018 and uh, hopefully it's not too late for everybody and we'll have some suggestions you can still check out. So I hope you all will enjoy that. Bye. All right. We'll talk to you guys next time, and goodbye. Uh, I know what you're thinking, punk. You're thinking, did he fire six shots or only five? Now, to tell you the truth, I forgot myself and all this excitement. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and will blow your head clean off. You gotta ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk?